In the early 1500s, the explorer Ponce de Leon set sail to discover the mythical fountain of youth. Did you know that? Okay, I'll tell you, don't worry about it. Never did he discover it, but he certainly tried. It became an insatiable obsession of his, and eventually, ironically, was the cause of his death. Not only was this quest the cause of his demise, but many of the men who went with him. He sent them deep into the untamed jungles and swamps. Unfortunate men, they found bugs and bears and fought alligators and snakes, sinkholes, unfriendly natives, but he never found the fountain of youth. Unfortunately, what he did find was the state of Florida. And if you don't know, Florida is the great enemy of this church. Half of our church moved to Florida in the last five years. But that's okay. Many years have passed since Leon de, uh, Ponce de Leon. But over the time, the legend, the myth of the mountain has grown. And many towns have sprang up to actually claim that they have it, that they have found it. One reporter in 2014 named Sam Anderson, he set out to explore and taste the acclaimed waters of the Fountain of Youth in a little town called Punta Gorda in Florida. For over 100 years, Punta Gorda had claimed that they had found the Fountain of Youth. And I just want to read to you his discovery word for word from his article. He says, when I reached the spot where the fountain was supposed to be, it was nowhere. There was just an empty small town intersection, restaurant, bank, chiropractor, stop sign, no special plaque, no burbling fountain, no crowds of elderly people leaping out of wheelchairs and dancing with joy. I worried for a minute that the trip had been a waste. But then I saw it, and I laughed out loud. The fountain of youth was a tiny, shabby, neglected, a blocky little drinking fountain, not much bigger than the garbage can that stood next to it. That must have been decorative in the knees, but now it's cracked and stained. Today, nothing identified it as the fountain of youth. In fact, the only sign on it was a warning from the Florida Department of Health, use water at your own risk. <laughs> have you ever put all of your hope into something only to discover that that thing did not come through in the promise? Have you ever wanted something so much only to discover that when you actually got it, it wasn't what you were expecting? I would guess that every single one of us have done this. Anybody ever want a Red, Red Rider BB gun? Okay. Anybody ever want the next iPhone? Nobody. You all are androids, you bunch of weirdos. I don't believe any of you. Lying in church today. All of us have wanted that job, or we wanted that salary, we wanted that raise, we wanted that spouse, we wanted the family, we wanted the house, the car, the dog, the friend group. We wanted the right phone case. Maybe that's just me and my family in this particular Black Friday season. But sometimes we buy into the lie is that when I get that, I'll be content. When I get that, I'll be happy. We don't say that, but we believe it with the energy and the uh, with the energy and the uh, time that we put into seeking those things. But if you've ever been there and you've done that, you know that that always comes up short. It always leaves you wondering. Last week, we started this conversation in this idea, looking at the idea of generosity as a way to push back against the constant desires that rise up in us. I'd like to read you the words of Paul. In Acts 20 35, he says, I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember that the words of Jesus, the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The word blessed there is makarios. Can you say makarios? Now turn to somebody next to you and say makarios. Makarios. 
Turn to the other person and say, Makarios. Turn to the person behind you and say, Makarios. How many times can I get you to say, Makarios? I don't know if I'm saying it right. Makarios. It literally means blessed or fortunate or happy. What Paul is saying is that you are more Makarios. You are more blessed when you give. You are more fortunate when you give. You are literally more happy when you give than you receive. And science backs this up. The scientific journal in the Berkeley University talks about that generosity appears to stimulate the neutral circuits involved in reward. These are, the same, uh, these are the same circuits that stimulate when we have food or even have uh, uh, sex. Even those things that happen, those reward systems, those good feelings, those things that flood you, the same neurons are activated when you give and act generously in your life. And today we're looking at that characteristics. We're, we, we want to be that church that's defined as a church that's radically generous. Not that just we give away, but that we are people who are generous, that we are generous people. Today we're going to be looking at the characteristics of a generous person, ways that we can makarioso or be more happy, focus more on true happiness and less on receiving. Can we actually just stand? I'd love to read you uh, just 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read just uh, parts of it that we're going to be covering today. But we will spend most of our time just in this one chapter and kind of break it down on giving today. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we'll start with verse 1. It says, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. They did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. Verse 11, now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean that your giving should make life easy hard for yourselves. I, I only mean that there should be some equality. And finally, verse 20, we are traveling together. Paul's talking about the caravan of people he's going with. We are traveling together to guard against any criticism for the way that we are handling this generous gift. We are careful to be honorable before the Lord. But we also want everyone else to see that we are honorable. Let's just take a moment and pray and invite God's Spirit to speak to us today. Holy Spirit, we just welcome your presence here today. I believe that you're here and you're present. I believe that you want to speak to us today. I believe that there is relevancy in the scripture for our lives today in 2020. Lord, I pray that we would be able to grapple with the scripture today and be able to come away with it with truth that pushes back against our own bias. I pray that we're able to pull these fundamentals and put them into practice in our life today. We want your voice in our life and we welcome it today. In Jesus' name, everyone said Amen. Hey, that was a great amen. You can take a seat. Thank you. I don't even have to say that you have to do it again. That was good. Can you give somebody next to you just a high five?
That was the weirdest looking high fives. It was just like a slow, weird clap all the way across. I'm in a weird mood today, y'all. It's okay. Okay, so this is the first question that I want to answer today that you may or may not be asking is, where does generosity come from? Where does generosity come from? Where, where do we get it? And I believe that it's right here in what we just read. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what God has done through the kindness of the churches of Macedonia. They're tested. They have many troubles. They are poor. But they're also filled with abundant, say it with me. That's not up there. Abundant joy. Say joy with me. Abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. I really believe that generosity is a byproduct of joy. It's hard for sad, depressed people to be uh, generous. But joyful people, it almost seems like a natural part of who they are. It's the marked trait of change in all of the Christmas films. I just was reviewing some of the old Scrooge movies just recently and looking back. And you know the animated one? Really kind of horrific if you look at it now. It's just real odd. They didn't do a great job with it. But if you look at the very end scene... This guy, they just have him kind of dancing and jumping, and it's running around kissing babies, giving people like the days off. He's got little kids like piggyback rides on their shoulder. He's like, you get a raise, and you get a raise, and let's, here, go buy coal for your family. It's just, he's excited. He's happy. He's joyful. And out of that joy comes generosity. If you've ever been to a wedding... There's just the host, and there's a sense of joy in the place. There's a sense of generosity that comes. There's a sense of we want everybody to come. We're not counting names. We're not counting plates. We just want everybody to be there. Please eat as much as you want. Here, please stay as late as you can. Would you just come and celebrate and be a part with us? Once Amy and I, uh, we went to a Hispanic friend's uh, wedding. We had, not been to Hispanic when, uh, we had not been to Hispanic wedding before. And at the end, I was friends with the bride and also with her brother. At the end of the wedding, when Amy and I are about to head out, uh, the brother's like, hey, it's tradition for uh, in Hispanic weddings for people to just take the food home. Like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, here, load up a goodie bag and take it. I've never taken takeout from a wedding before. Like, hey, do you guys have extra, you know, masacholi back there? Give me a bag of it to go. I got to go pick up the kids. So he's like, no, you got to do it. Like, okay, fine, man, fine. So he blows up a plate and stuff and gives it to me. And he's like, you got to take drinks, too. I'm like, I'm not taking pot. No, he's like, here. And so he gives me a bunch of Cokes to put in there, too. And so Amy and I have these plates and we have these Cokes. We're walking out, going up the stairs, and then, boom, around the corner comes the bride and the groom. And here we are leaving their party with arms full of their food and their pop. And we're like, your brother told me to do this. We don't do this at weddings. We don't just take the food. And they're like, no, take it. Take more. Do you want more? I'm like, no, I don't want more. This is your wedding. Get away. (laughs) Joyful people are generous people. You know, I I grew up in a real small church. Uh, There was 30 of us. Six of them was my family. And there were two to three pastors on a stage at a time. I, I don't know what was spiritually deficit in that church, but we need a 10 pastor ratio in that church. And so there was always, and the services were too long. No, sorry, two hours long, not too long. They were two hours long. <laughs> it was a wonderful place to grow up. We were Holy Spirit filled. I didn't even know it. I just thought that's what you did. Like, I didn't understand it, but it was great. But Pastor Jerry, I grew up under Pastor Jerry's teaching. And uh, I, I would never tell Pastor Jerry this, but after, you know, uh, years of growing up under him and hours, I, I only really remember two of his sermons. I only remember two of them. But the one that I do remember was on joy. 
And this is what Pastor Jerry taught me about joy, is that, that, that joy is putting relationships in your life in the right priority. Because here's the thing. Joyful people are generous people, but the joy comes from someplace too. Joy is an attribute of the Holy Spirit. You can be happy, but you can be joyful in all circumstances. Did you know that? You don't have to be happy in all things. Bad things will come your way, and you don't have to be happy about them. But there is a sense, a spiritual attribute of God of joy that can still pervade your life as you endure some of the hardest things you may have ever gone through. And so joy is something that comes from someplace else, and we find that in 2 Corinthians 8.5. Paul's saying, as he continues on, they, did, they even did more than we had hoped for, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. Pastor Jerry taught me that joy comes when you put Jesus first, others second, and you allow yourself to be last in your life, in your list of priorities of relationships. Joy comes when you put Jesus first, others second, and you last. Do you get how that spells out joy? Are you with me today? Should we do more high fives? No? Okay, that's fine. But what happens in our life and what the world tells you to do is to actually flip that order often. It tells you to put yourself first. Your truth matters. What you getting ahead matters first. Your needs matter more than the other people around you. Put yourself first. Then you can take care of other people. And then put religion last if you even need it. And so the world sees us as backwards. Y-O-J. And when you have Y-O-J, you have Yaj. How many people want to be Yajful? That sounds gross. A disease or something. I don't want yajness or whatever that is. I want joy in my life. And so you see that generous people are people that have proper relationships or have relationships in the proper prioritized way in their life, the proper priority in their life. They put Jesus first. I'm going to get close to God. They put others second. I'm going to put others ahead of me. And they allow themselves, which is called humility, they allow themselves to be less than or to let other people have their way first. Joyful people have proper relationships prioritized in their life, and joyful people are generous people. It's out of that joy that this overflowing of generosity comes. Church of Macedonia, the people gave themselves over to God. They put people first. They were okay with being less than others. They gave themselves to God because this was, this was their source of joy. There was an overabundance of joy in their life. And they were able to do this even in some of the hardest circumstances they were going through. Pressured, down and out, poor, they were still joyful. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete Generosity comes out of a place of contentment. Generosity comes out of a place of joyful endurance, knowing that I am okay. I will be okay if I give. If you have a poverty mindset, a scarcity mindset, you're saying, if I give, I die. But a joyful, content person who's perfect, lacking nothing, understanding that they will be provided for, has a sense of knowing who they are, who God is. And if you know who God is, you know that God is not going to leave you high and dry. He says, look at the birds, look at the flowers, look at the grass. 
Aren't you more important than those things? Won't I provide for you? Won't I take care of you? So when a joyful person encounters a trial, when a person that's close to God encounters a trial, they can be filled with joy and know that they have enough. You know, I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you how weak my joy is sometimes. The, the little things that can just completely disrupt my day. Last week I came home, the kids had been sick, common cough, whatever, just enough to make life annoying. They, they were sick, you got home, little sleep because of them, you know, kicking you in the middle for water. Slept wrong on my neck, I was a little pinched. I got home, we're trying to get Christmas boxes up and out, and they're all over the table. I sit down to, uh, I try to sit down to talk with Amy about something on the computer. There's just boxes everywhere, and I have to move them. I look at her and say, my life is the worst. This is the worst thing that has ever happened. These boxes are all over on this table. This is the worst thing that has ever happened in my life. And it's crazy to me how sometimes my joy is so weak compared to some of the things that you see in the churches, some of the things that the martyrs, some of the people that had to suffer and to die to endure in their faith. But at the same time, it encourages me to go beyond myself, to follow their example, to press on in trial, to press on in hardship, great or small, to get close to God, to right prioritize those relationships in my life, to be a person marked by generosity. Generosity, it's a characteristic of God. Have you ever stopped to think about whose side generosity is on? My, my son, he just loves this idea of spiritual warfare. Not because, he likes, not because he's over-spiritualized, he just likes warfare. He's like, you're going to die. Son can't talk to the dog. Okay? And so he's always thinking of things on sides. And so he thinks of like, he knows that being kind, being loving, uh, sharing with your sisters. And he'll say to us, I'm on God's side. But then he'll, he, he knows, he'll, he'll come to us and say, uh, well, he'll, he'll do something that we have to correct him with, gentle rebuke and lead him to where he needs to be. And man, our, our fists are made for helping people, not hurting people. It's like, yeah, I was on Satan's side. And he has this idea in his mind of that there is in this battle. And the, in those sides, there are characteristics of each side. Satan has a side and Jesus has a side. And I want to be on Jesus' side. And it's interesting to think about that Satan is never, gen- never generous. Satan is never, never generous. There's one, cha- there's one spot in Scripture where Satan does actually offer everything he has. In one spot, he comes up to Jesus and he says, hey, you can have everything I have. You can have all of these worlds. You can have all of these kingdoms. You can have everything I have dominion over. But Satan's goal behind that is never for others' focus. It's never an us-for-them mentality. It's always I'm going to give so I can get. What can I get out of this situation? So he offers Jesus everything he has, but what in exchange is that for? For Jesus' allegiance, for him to ruin the calling that God had put on his life, for him to actually not create a way back to the Father. And so generosity is never on Satan's side. Generosity is always in God. And so when we begin to act and live and be people that are marked by generosity, we are actually aligning ourselves into the image of the Father who he he is himself generous. Jesus came with generosity. 2 Corinthians 8 9, Paul marks this. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make it. We have received much because of the generosity of Christ. Remember Satan's mission statement? He's come to steal, 
kill, and destroy. But Jesus' mission statement, I came so that they might have life and life to its fullest. Characteristic of Jesus is one to always give. Give, 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 give as much as I have. His life is marked, history is marked by the spirit of generosity. But Satan's life is always marked by death and destruction, greed and taking. And so when you begin to act and be a person of generosity, you are aligning yourself with the Father and showing that you are on his side. So really quickly, I just want to give you the three characteristics or qualities that we see of a generous person out of the church of Macedonia. There's three things here that I see that Paul teaches about out of this church of Macedonia, the ones that were under many troubles, that were being tested, that were very poor, but they gave and they were filled with abundant joy which overflowed into rich generosity. I want to just tell you three things that we see from their life. The very, the very first is this, is that Generous people will give willingly. They did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing the gift before the believers in Jerusalem. When you are a generous person, it does not need to be coerced. It does not need to be forced out of you. You know, when you have kids and you're trying to teach them to share their stuff and you say, hey, this is not your toy. We can share this with other people. Hey, it's, it's not just for you, it's for everybody. And so you encourage the kids, you, you train them to do that. Maybe at some point you even have to force them to do that. And if the kid's sitting there like this and just glaring at the other kids and stomps their feet, but he did share, is that generous? No, it's forced generosity. That's not generosity. Generosity is when they say, here, I, would, I, I can go without this and I can give it to you. I, my one kid, uh, we had friends over from out of town, and they were visiting. They had a daughter her, their own age. And just unprompted out of nowhere, at the end when they were leaving, she came up and she said, hey, I want her to have this specific toy. And Amy and I were like, that's a $15 toy that we just got you like a, two weeks ago. But we knew there was a moment in there of her choosing to be generous of her own will and own volition, and we had to let her do that and see it through. And so there was an act of generosity. It didn't come from us saying, you have to give because this is a season of giving. It was just her experiencing this feeling and then help us helping her to walk into it. Generosity, a generous person is somebody that gives willingly. It's not forced. I went to, uh, there's a couple of Judson students, the university right down here, and I was with them a couple weeks ago. We went got together for lunch and stuff, and uh, I just thought this was so cool. Um, Anybody in college or ever have a time where you're like, I can't afford coffee? Yeah, a couple people, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember when I was like, I got to buy Folgers, like the dark roast, and that was like a splurge when I was in coffee. I was like, that's, that's the best I can afford right now. And we're eating lunch and stuff, and I was com not complaining, but I was like, I bummed out that they didn't have coffee at the dining hall. And these college students, they said, hey, well, Come with us afterwards, and we'd love to make you coffee. And it wasn't coffee that they got someplace. It was coffee out of their own money, on their own pocket. And I just thought, man, that is such an act of generosity that they, these college students who are broke, just working through, get through you know, school and stuff like that, they would open up their home, their dorm room, and open up their own stores, their warehouses to share it with me. But it was unprompted. It was a willingness on their heart because generous people give willingly. Say two with me, two. Say two with me, two. 
Say two with me, two. Laura in the back. No, I'm just kidding. It's good. Generous people give proportionately. They give proportionately. You know, I have two friends, two friends that I would say in my life are just marked by, nothing is theirs. Everything they have is this mentality of you can have it too. And I have one friend that I just, my whole life, he's always just given me stuff. Never asked him for anything. Never, it was just, hey, I have this for you. Every time we see each other, he gives me something. I've had to start preemptively buying gifts for him because I'm like, if I get together with this guy, he's going to give me something. Like, I just know it's there, so I don't want to be like, take it all from him. But this guy is just so marked by it that he has to take extra shifts in his job because of the deficit that it leaves his family in. He's so marked by generosity because he he just doesn't know how to say no. He doesn't know how to give properly. So he actually works 50-hour, 60-hour weeks to actually afford the ability to give what he doesn't, can't afford to give away. I have a second friend that is just incredibly generous. Um, same thing. Ever in need. I never asked, but they just helped me out with stuff throughout my life. Like, uh, I, it's just he, that's just who he was. But he plans it out. He's a generous person. He comes to generosity with a plan. He budgets generosity in. He doesn't let generosity be a spontaneous thing that just happens to him. He, it is something important to him that he's a giver. He is, it's important to him that he sows and that he gives to people when they need. So he actually plans it out. And so when he gives, it never is a deficit to his household. It's never a deficit to his family. But he knows that he's going to give. Every, every week, every month, he knows that he's going to be a generous giver because godly people steward their resources well. I didn't get as many, like, uh-huhs and yes and amens as I thought I was going to get from that, so I'm going to say it one more time because maybe you're sleeping today. Godly people steward their resources well. Amen. That makes me feel so much better. Thank you, guys. We... Sometimes us spirit-filled crazies, we like to think that spontaneity is the Holy Spirit. Some of the best advice that I ever got coming into the lead pastor position is a lead, a, another senior lead that he was working with me and helping me just, uh, just, just grow into the role. And he said, why, why would the Holy Spirit be limited by time? If he knows what's going to happen in this service, don't you think he's going to know what's going to happen in the service two weeks from now? or four weeks from now, or two months from now. God's not a God of disorder or chaos. God's a God of order and peace. And so we can actually plan generosity into our lives, work it into our budgets, and not just expect it to be a, a spontaneous thing that we have to do. We can prepare knowing that those things will come, knowing that we are generous people, and then the situations will arise and we will have enough to cover them. Generous people give proportionately, and they plan to give well. It's we find a way to make the things happen that we prioritize. We find a way. There's, there's been times in my life where I'm like, uh, no, we're not going to get guacamole at Chipotle, but we're definitely going to spend $20 on good coffee. Like, there's things in my life that I'm like, I'm going to prioritize. I'm going to find a way to make the things happen that I prioritize. And so if we are people that want to give proportionally, we prioritize generosity, we will find a place where we can cut out non-essential things to make the essential things fit into our lives. Amen?
Amen. And lastly, the third thing that we see from people that are marked by generosity, these three characteristics out of the Macedonian church, is that they do give sacrificially. Generosity is sharing with others what you have. We said this last week, but it's worth it. It's generosity is giving in a way that you feel it. Um, the Rock, Dwayne, Jones, well, Dwayne Johnson, he, uh, he's been under a lot of criticism recently. Everybody knows probably about the fires that swept through Hawaii. And uh, very quickly, The Rock and Oprah, they came together and they wanted to create a fund to help the people of Hawaii rebuild, a, a fund to gather resources and to give it back to them. And so he went on, uh, he went on to the media and social media accounts and just gave a very heartfelt call to the American people to open up their wallets and to give towards this fund to fulfill it. And he got uh, unforeseen lots of backlash on that because it felt to people, why is this multi-millionaire asking me who's just struggling to get by to give? And he gave a lot. He gave more than any of us probably could. He gave over $5 million to this fund out of his own money. But proportionally, it was like almost less than 1% of what he's worth or valued. And in people's mind, it felt like it was not a sacrifice. It was not an act of generosity. It just felt like him doing the bare minimum. Generous people don't give what they have to. They, they give sacrificially. They give in a way that they can feel it. Verse 3 in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says, For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. Just to recap really quickly today, a generous person is a joyful person. A joyful person is a person who has correctly prioritized relationships in their lives, putting God or Jesus first, other people second, and allowing ourselves to go last. The characteristics that mark these joyful, generous people that we can see from this church are that they give willingly, that they give proportionately, and they give sacrificially. And when all of these things culminate into one life, we see in Acts 20, 35, they have the Macarius life. They are literally happier. They're more blessed. They're more fortunate. They are happier to give than they are to receive. Our mission in this house, in this church, is to connect our community to God, to people, to purpose, and to hope. That's the thing that we strive to do. It's the filter that we run every program, every sermon, every series, every, uh, every event that we do is will this help people connect to God or to other people? Will it help them to connect to hope or to purpose? We, we run that filter through everything we do. And right now, today kicks off a season of generosity. It's kicking off a generosity campaign called Us For Them. We're going to run it this whole month. Because we believe that doing this kind of generosity campaign through our church, it will accomplish the mission. It will help people connect to God. It will help them connect, get involved in community. It will help be able to help us be able to find purpose. Help them be able to find hope. Last verses that we're going to study in 2 Corinthians 8 says this. We are traveling together to guard against any criticism for the way we're handling this generous gift. We're careful to be honorable before the Lord, but we also want everyone to see that we are honorable. In, in just a little bit, you probably notice there's cards underneath your seats, little yellow cards and envelopes. You don't need to grab them yet, but they're there. 
In a little bit, we're going to be taking an offering through this church. And we don't normally do this, but you're actually going to get out of your seat. You're going to fill that card out. You're going to get out of your seat. You're going to come up here, and you're going to place that offering on this altar. And we call that an offering or sacrifice. This, this about what we're going to do in just a second, the big give here in just a second, um, this is not the tithe. When you give your tithe and obedience to your finances every single week, every single month, those things go and they, they help us cover keeping this room heated, paying the bills, paying the gas and the heat, and getting the parking lot cleared and salted. But what we're about to do in just a second is special and above that and beyond that, it's, it's an offering to God. And this year, uh, we felt very strongly that this offering, it, it's not going anywhere to touch this house. This is all about funding 2024 outreach ministry opportunities. And I want to tell you exactly where the money is going. I want to tell you exactly where it's all going to go. Last week, I told you a couple of them. Today, I'm going to tell you the rest of them. But to recap, the very first thing that we're going to be able to do when we raise this $15,000 today, the very first thing we're going to be able to do is to fund scholarships for our teen camp, our kids camp, and our fall conferences. You've seen our students here in the front worshiping. You see our students when you drop your kids off downstairs, that they're the ones that take your kids and work with your kids. They work in the, co- uh, the, the coffee shop. They're here on stage. I saw one kid this morning going around and straightening chairs before people got in here. We value the youth in this church. We value the next generation because we know that we want to partner with the parent to help them to do whatever they can so that your kids can pick up that inheritance of faith and walk with it as their own. There has to be some kind of pass off. And so many times that rising up, that owning that faith as your own happens when a kid goes to camp. There's something that happens when in the craziness. There's something that happens when all the other kids are doing it. There's something that happens when you dedicate a weekend or a week of your time just to focus on you and the Lord that gets a hold of these kids' hearts. We don't want finances to be a reason that students can't make it to camp. So part of this money is just simply going to go and it's going to fund the scholarship funds for kids this next year, not even in this church. There's been a bunch of kids that are like, hey, I have a friend. They don't go to church. They don't go to our church, but they want to go to camp. Can they come? Yes. Bring them. Have them sign up. We'll take them. We'll take them. We've taken tons of kids that don't even go to our church. I've had friends and pastors in the other area like, we can't go, but can I send these three kids with? Yeah, we'll take them. Drop them off. We'll we'll take them down. And so that's one thing that we're going to be able to do. The second is restock the food pantry. I've heard a bunch of you reach out and say, hey, can we bring and donate food and stuff? We will do that through this fund. So when you give part of the money that we're taking and collecting, it's going to go to restock the food pantry and open it and make it available to the community. Three is we did this last year, and the schools reached out and asked us to do this again. We were going to provide gifts for families in need in our local school districts. And so there's a good handful of people in our community that don't go to church, but they will get a Church on the Rock gift this year. They'll get an invitation to Christmas service. They'll get a, a, a food pantry card. They'll get a pamphlet on all the kids' services and everything we get. And 
you know what? People have come to know God through things like that. People have come to know God that serve in our church because they got a flyer in the mail that said church. And so there's people around us that by a simple act of generosity, they may come to know the Lord. Four is that through this fund, we will be able to sponsor and do two first responder outreaches in our area. Pastor Joe has taken the charge and led this. I think we've done three in the last two years so far, but we go to um, a firehouse, we go to a police station, and we, we just go there and we say, hey, we'd love to just sponsor a dinner for you guys. And so we, we cater a meal, we decorate it. The kids downstairs, they'll write cards, they'll send them in, and we buy every single person a, a duty bag Bible. And so what that is is a, a fireman or policeman-specific Bible with their name engraved on it, and it helps them. If they're not of faith or don't know, they get on scene. There's somebody that's passing, somebody that needs last rites read. They can say, flip to this page, and they know, and they can help. And we've had people come and attend our church through those. We've made a good name for ourselves, a good reputation for this church because we've encouraged the people that serve this community and city, and we can do two of those events in 2024 through Us For Them campaign. And lastly, this is five, is that uh, we support something close, I, I, don't, I can't ever remember if it's just under or just over 20 missionaries through our church. Every month there's people in this room and beyond that give above and beyond their tithe to missions. Uh, Assemblies of God churches began with the mindset of that Christ is coming back soon and we need to get the gospel to every end of the world as quickly as possible. And it began with the mentality of let's gather the people, gather the resources, and send them as quickly as possible. And so you support 20 different missionaries. When we take on a missionary, we commit to them. We don't say we're just going to come on for this month. We say for the next four years, we will back you every single month. And so it's a big commitment when we come and take on a new missionary because it's not like we back out of, hey, church finances are down or we've had a hard month, we can't send you a support check. For four years, we say we will cover you and we've got your back for four years and we'll see how you're doing then if you're still in the field. And so through this fund, we can bring on not just one, but two more missionaries and support them and get them to the field for four years. I just got a list this last week of all the Illinois district missionaries that are here waiting to go, ready to go. House is sold, car is sold. All they need is to finish their fundraising so they can go. Remember, be a good steward of your resources. Don't show up and know that you, when you show up, you can actually do what you're called to do. And so they're just waiting. They're just waiting. And so we can bring two more on through this. And that's the six things that we're going to do through this generosity campaign this year. It is us for them. We are giving sacrificially, generously of ourselves, of our resources to send people out in this house, in our community, and beyond. Teen scholarships, food pantry, local community gifts, out, first responder outreaches, and two more missionaries. On your, under your seats, you're going to find a card like this. The band's going to play here. They're going to keep playing. And uh, 
I'm going to go away in just a second and just give you an opportunity to just pray. Just to look at this card and just to pray about what number God would put on your heart if you want to partner with our church in this generosity campaign. There's one thing specific on here. It's pretty basic stuff, name, number, whatever. But there's one thing on here specifically that I want to show you is that this very top number says $61 times the people in my family. We looked at our church and we looked at this last year and if every person that comes to this church gives that $61, we will meet the generosity goal today. If every person gives 61 But here's the thing about this though is that it's not $61 per family, it's per person. And so Amy and I, we, our family makes up five people that come to this church. And it's important for me I think to let you know is that our family has already gone first. Um, We work very hard to not tell you to do something that we don't do ourselves. We work very hard to not be hypocrites. And I want you to know that uh, our family has gone first this year in the big give and we've given and we fulfilled our part of this generosity campaign because we believe in this church We believe in the mission of this church and we put our money where our bodies are. We put our money in the things that we believe are priority. So I just want to let you know that um, I've already gone ahead of you in this. I'm not telling you to do something that I'm not asking myself to do to my family. Our church's mission is to connect people to God, the people to purpose and to hope. And the Us For Them giving campaign will do that. Pastor Joe's famous saying is this, is that we are only resources plus workers away from more ministry. We are only resources and workers more away from more ministry. 